What's happening, everybody? This is Bobby Borg, a.k.a. Professor, and you're listening to your Morning Coffee, the podcast with your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart, weekly music news for the new music business. From Luminate, the Luminate U.S. year-end music report for 2022. From Music Business Worldwide, Sir Lucian Grange, music needs a new streaming payout model, and we're working on it. And from Symphonic, the ultimate guide for a kick-ass year 2023. Not just (laughs) a year 2023, it's a kick-ass year, damn it. Heck yeah, it is. All right, Jay, we're going to talk about all kinds of ultimate and kick-ass things. You are listening to the Your Morning Coffee podcast. We are happy you're here, and we are going to get the boogie going right about now. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! Your morning coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Oh, good day to you, Sir Jay. How are you on this fine, rainy day in Southern California? Another storm. We need the water, but it's a little crazy. Yes, it is. But it's uh, it's lovely to wake up when it's raining. It's It's been so long since that, that's yeah. been happening here in SoCal. So really, really People exciting. don't know how to drive in the rain in Los Angeles. I was born in the Seattle area, and I can tell you people know how to drive in the rain in Seattle. Right. But in Los Angeles, you know, it doesn't rain that much. And when it does, the kind of oil and stuff rises up and makes it even more slick and People are, you know, they're putting on their makeup, they're texting while they're driving, they're going too fast. It's a scary place to be. Just saying. Absolutely. My first job out of college was working for Enterprise Rent-A-Car in L.A. And the place I worked, we had like 600 cars on the lot. And literally the next day after a rain, because there were so many accidents... No cars, you know, just zero cars. And <laughs> it is crazy. crazy. I mean, wow. you see how many accidents happen with, with the rain. And uh, yeah, yeah, that is that is the reality of Southern California. But uh, Be careful doing, out there, people. Uh, absolutely. I'm doing the happy rain dance. And man, so many things to talk about. You know, we, you so and I were talking, uh, we've been both been talking about, and I still haven't finished the book, actually, the Bono book. Um, yeah. 
but uh, but it turns out they uh, they're going to be releasing some of those the different versions of the forty songs that he mentions yeah. in the book. Very exciting. Yeah, we talked about this. the this, The book, if if you haven't uh, heard us talk about it, is by Bono. It's a biography. It's called Surrender: Forty Songs, One Story. And I have the physical book right here, but mm-hmm. I also have the audio book, which is really different because number one, it's Bono reading you his book, which is pretty cool. He's very uh, clever and poetic and funny, but each chapter starts with a snippet of an acoustic version of a U2 song and they're beautiful. And we talked about this on the podcast and this last week they announced that that will be the new album by U2. And I, I can't wait because it sounded uh, so amazing, but uh, really looking forward to that. Yeah, you know, and when you read the book, boy, he is so erudite, so uh, well-read and well-informed and a really good writer. And he's a great raconteur of just talking Absolutely. about his, his stories. And he's very sort of self-effacing. And, you know, he did a lot of press for that book. And, and it's, you know, I've, I've watched a lot of his interviews on, uh, on YouTube <clears throat> on the various outlets that had him on. And he's just... You know, he's just so, like I said, self-effacing and, and seemingly so down to earth. And yeah. it's just really interesting to hear the backstories of the, of the early days of that band. And of course, he talks a lot about the importance of their now ex-manager because he retired, Paul McGinnis, and how important his perspective was in those early days. Absolutely. And really, really just, you know, I you know, we, we both love that inside baseball stuff, you know, the business side of things, but also the creative aspect. And there's a little bit of everything in the book it's really yeah. interesting very highly, rec- highly, highly recommend, recommend it, it. yeah um worth, and just it. really quickly uh before we dive in a couple of things one i was listening to a variety strictly business podcast and that's one of your favorites one of my mm-hmm. favorites um shirley halperin is absolutely amazing with that podcast i never miss uh any episode that she's on um, she interviewed Carrie Ann Marshall from Warner Chapel uh, on this last one. I think it dropped January 11th. But if you want to kind of, you know, see how the sausage is made on the publishing side, uh, I highly recommend it's Variety's uh, Strictly Business uh, podcast. Um, this last one with Carrie Ann Marshall from uh, Warner Chapel. It's just absolutely fantastic. Well, and you and I have talked so many times on the podcast, but it's worth mentioning again in that, you know, in our era, and I, I, maybe it's similar now, I don't know, but, you know, there was just two universes. There was the recorded music universe, and then there was the music publishing universe. And and it was very rare that those those worlds cr- crossed over. You know, they did it at a super, super high level. But, you know, I knew people at lots of different labels and, you know, all kinds of stuff, but I really rarely knew people over in publishing. So it's always been, for me, since I most of my career is on the recorded music side, it's always just been a bit of a mystery what the hell they do over there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, how does that world work? And it's very, it's just very different. And of course, we're now, we talk a lot about it. And it's so important. I mean, it's always been important, but it's just, it's a very different business model it's a very different business and a lot of different sort of uh ways that they they operate but it's it's fascinating to hear about that world over there and um it is yeah it, and, it's and the, well here's the thing i learned from cool. uh listening to carrie ann uh and uh shirley is that it's it's not static it's dynamic it's evolving it's changing just like the rest of the music industry right um so um anyway highly recommend uh that um, next week, you and I are going to dive into a new book uh, 
um, a new edition, the third edition of Ari Herstan's book, How to Make It in the New Music Business. Mm-hmm. I had a really interesting uh, conversation with Ari this week. Uh, we recorded uh, a portion of that, which we'll play on the podcast next week. Um, because the the book comes out on the 17th and as we're recording this it's uh, actually the 14th so I haven't received the book yet and I want to uh, read through some of it before we talk about it but stay tuned next week for a conversation with Ari Herstand um, his book how to make it in the new music business this is the third edition um, it's one of those books that you and I talk about like the Donald Passman book mm-hmm. or Mike Warner's book or Will Page's book that everyone should have on their desk uh, in the music industry. It's it's Jay and Mike's top five, really. Yeah. And, 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 and it's like they are so such crucial books to have on your on your nightstand or on your bookshelf because it's just uh, they fill in the blanks. I don't know how else to say it. And it's really that's right. Great, great books. And those guys, including Ari, spend so much time. Um, and again, when they do another edition. It's a it's it's not like you know it's it's dramatic changes because oh yeah this is a dramatic and dynamic industry and so you have to get the latest edition period because absolutely so many things have changed so yeah and what I love about it is Ari is an artist he's a singer songwriter yeah um, I kind of like his you know more chill stuff uh, it's it's just really good singer songwriter stuff and the reason I bring that up and and Mike Warner you know he's a DJ and he's in mm-hmm. a band. Um, they've, they've done it. They've done tours. They've done interviews with the press. They've worked sync licensing. They've made merch. They've done all these things and learned by experience. Here's some things that you should do. Here's some things maybe you should avoid. It's kind of a best practices kind of thing. So any of these people like Ari, like Mike, you know, uh, or even Bono, you know, these are people who have done it. They're not, you know, uh, just giving you information that they've uh, read somewhere. It's it's more by experience. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So uh, very, I'm very much looking forward to that book because, like we said, it's just it's the big five. I mean, it's the that's it's right. one of the big five, the ones that you absolutely have to own. So yeah, there so you we'll do. Dig check in next week. check yeah. that out exactly. By the way, Jay, you know when we do this podcast every week, we stand on the shoulders of giants, as we like to say. We certainly do. We love having. We love the the folks that help us bring it to the party. The our wonderful sponsors, including. Our good friends over at Banzoogle, we want to take this time to congratulate Banzoogle members for surpassing $100 million in commission-free sales of music, merch, and tickets through their website. That's right, $100 million. That's incredible. It's it's unbelievable. Banzoogle makes it easy to build a stunning website and online store for your music in just minutes. All the features you need are already built in, including dozens of fully customizable templates, tools to sell your music, merch, and tickets commission-free, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, integrations with Bandcamp, SoundCloud, YouTube, Bands in Town, and more so you can easily add content from your other online profiles, live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Plans start at just $8.29 a month, which includes hosting and your own free custom domain name. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can jump over to bandzoogle.com to try it free for 30 days and use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, to get 15% off the first year of any subscription that's bandzoogle.com promo code morning coffee very cool uh, we're also brought to you by hypebot since 2004 hypebot has cr- 
chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. Edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton, with help from Alana Bonilla, Hypot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live discovery and uh, marketing platform Bands in Town. And I do want to add that on my one of my other podcasts, Music uh, Biz Weekly, this last week we interviewed uh, Bruce Houghton uh, about touring, about merch, about all sorts of things. So check out the Music, um, Music Biz Weekly podcast, our new one, which is dropping any day now. Indeed. How about Bands in Town? Over 74 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It is the number one artist service platform connecting over 560,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Yeah, and a special thank you to Music Business Association. They put on that Music Biz Conference, and that's the point of origin for Instagram inspiration, collaboration all across the music business. Join us in Nashville, May 15th through the 18th, and we'll see you there. Yes, indeed. So we certainly appreciate the Music Business Association, Banzugo, Hypebot, and Bands in Town for helping us put the whole dang thing together. And my yes, co-host sir. every week, uh, going back 126 episodes <laughs> is none other than Jay Gilbert. He is a music industry consultant, curator of the weekly Your Morning Coffee newsletter, and a former executive with a couple of small companies you might have heard of, including Universal Music Group, Sony Music Group, Warner Music Group, and Fox Home Entertainment. And thank you. This uh, gentleman sitting across from me is Mike Etchart, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI and Universal Music Groups. All true, all true. And uh, yeah, let's jump in because we've got uh, so many interesting things to talk about, Jay. It's, uh, it's a fun one. This first one from Luminate, the Luminate US year-end music report for 2022. And of course, yeah. oh yeah. my goodness, so much That was a lead story this week in your morning coffee. Um, it's such a great report. Um, not only the report, and I included a link where you can download it, but there was a, stor- a story from uh, business, uh, Music Business Worldwide, uh, and the headline was, On-Demand Song Streams Grew 12.2% in the U.S. last year and 25.6% globally. Um, but what I found really interesting was they had a live stream with a couple of executives from Luminate that I caught mm-hmm. this last week. Um, it was their VP of Research, uh, Matthew Yajir, and Senior Director of Industry Relations, Jamie Marconette. Um, They did this live stream and they presented the findings and kind of walked through it because it's nice to see all these charts and graphs and, you know, the data, but it's also interesting for smart people to kind of walk through it and go, well, this is what I thought was unusual, you know, an increase here or, and there were some surprises, um, but I'll uh, I'll let you kind of kick off what this Luminate uh, report is. Yeah, just to and just to kind of make sure everyone remembers. So Luminate is the artist formerly known as MRC Data, which was the artist formerly known as SoundScan before that. So <laughs> a little bit of confusing uh, name changes there, but uh, you know, so they've been in this space forever. Uh, yeah. But this, of course, is 2022 versus 2021. Uh, the tracking was done over 200 countries, uh, and it powers the Billboard charts. So this is pretty. Inf- 
important information to say. The yeah, least. Loom, uh, some people may not be aware that they power those billboard charts, but this is kind of our point of reference for data. And it covers worldwide streaming, you know, which was up 25.6%. In fact, you know, let's just round some of these numbers. So about 26%. Um, that was, you know, over 5 trillion streams. It was a first, I'm sorry, yeah, five trillion. It was the first time that it was over five trillion. Um, U.S. audio streams were up twelve percent, um, and that's interesting because since around 2018, year-over-year growth has slowed a bit each year in streaming, but not in 2022. There were actually, you know, more than 20 billion audio streams. Uh, in 2022 versus 2021. Amazing. Uh, let's talk vinyl a little bit. U.S. vinyl was up 4.2%. Uh, the biggest drivers, of course, were kind of the holiday ship, ship, uh, shopping season. I said shipping season. The holiday shopping season. Uh, 25 to 30% of the year, that's the, or the percentages goes during the holiday shopping season. Record store day drops, of course. Uh, Taylor Swift Midnights was released back in October. And to say yeah. the to say that uh, Taylor Swift kind of moves things with her releases is an understatement because absolutely boy, that has an enormous effect. Absolutely, and you talk about vinyl being up around four percent. What could that have been? You and I, you know, we talk about this a lot, but it it's getting better. But there have been so many capacity issues uh, mm-hmm. and other issues with vinyl production. And I know there's some you know new production facilities going online. One's in Nashville, for example. But what could that number have been if we didn't have those issues? So that's on the vinyl side, still up over four percent. Um, catalog versus current. Um, there is a, a little bit of confusion with this, but let's let's talk about it. So catalog was up about 13 mm-hmm. percent. Um, catalog share of the business went from about 70 percent to over 72 percent. So that equals about you know a little over 700 million uh, units, you know, equivalents. So what's driving that number? And what you find out is that catalog is 18 months or older. That's the designation for catalog, right? And a lot of people, when they think catalog, they think, oh, well, that's Fleetwood Mac, that's the Beatles, that's this. Well, most of it, you know, most of the numbers that make up catalog are between 2017 and, you know, 2020. Those releases within Mm -hmm. that window, they're driving most of the catalog numbers. Interesting, interesting. Uh, Also, we talk about consumption mix. So here's three number one albums and kind of what the the mixture of those and uh, those number one albums were. Bad Bunny, uh, almost 96% of of that consumption is streaming. That one really surprised me. Me too. I knew it would be high, but 96%? I know, Uh, crazy. Like, no vinyl, no, no CDs. It's... That was amazing to me. All streaming, almost all streaming. By the way, and as a side note, I watched a great movie called uh, Bullet Train. Uh, it, it just fairly out, and Bad, Bad Bunny is in it. <laughs> he's an actor. As an actor, it. yes, he's really good. In it. It's a great, great movie. <laughs> Very bizarre, funny movie. That's great. Uh, so Beyonce, forty-two point six percent streaming. So about forty-three percent streaming, uh, right? Exactly, and then and then what's the other? And then this is actually thirty-six point six percent. Oh no, streaming. Um, it, that was a typo. That's actually CD sales. Oh, there you go. CD sales. How about that? It's the year twenty twenty-three, and here's an artist named Beyonce who still has a almost thirty-seven percent of her uh, of her consumption mix is compact discs. Jay, has right. she not read the the information that CDs are dead? I'm well, guessing. your your point's well taken. Of course, this is 2022, 
versus 2021, right. but you're absolutely right We're to get 37% right. CD sales. Um, well, it also goes to, you know, her audience yes. is a little more adult, a mm-hmm. um, little more maybe affluent. Um, and they go into some of these breakdowns later, but I'll let you finish. Yeah, this. crazy though. Uh, and then Taylor Swift, and we'll talk about her her exact vinyl numbers in a minute. Uh, Thirty, almost thirty seven percent, or over thirty six percent of her consumption was vinyl. You were <laughs> wow. talking one of the biggest artists in the world that had thirty six, in this case, point four percent vinyl purchases. Unbelievable, yeah. unbelievable. And I will, yeah. say, I, I, I keep saying this, but I will say it again. I, I, I never. I, I couldn't imagine because I still remember when vinyl went away and how quickly we were running away from it. We couldn't yeah. wait to buy CDs, and it's the same thing now. It's just we we vinyl is so hot, continues to be hot, and it just blows my mind. Yeah, and even things like I noticed in here we won't we won't go too deep into it, but things like cassettes. Yes. Um, they're not a big number. I think it was like 400,000 units or something like that. But it was up over 25% year over year. And some right? manufacturing facility is manufacturing 400,000 cassettes. Come on. I know. It's unbelievable. And a lot of that was, you know, Taylor Swift. You know, they, yes. the, her fans like that. So let's look at, you know, these configurations and consumption by genre. I mm-hmm. thought this was really interesting. So if you just look at country... You know, it's they consume their music from radio primarily more so than, you know, watching short form video, which is number two for country and more so than listening to CDs, which is still pretty high Um, hip hop. It's a little bit different, you know, with hip hop. The number one way to consume is short form video, you know, like uh, there you're 35 percent more likely to consume your music uh, if you like hip hop and rap from short form video than other formats. Number two for uh, hip hop and rap is streaming. Mm -hmm. And uh, number three is um, music videos. And I'll take uh, the next one and you can take the next three, you know, Latin uh, number one, not not surprisingly, after you, you know, hear some of the things about Bad Bunny, number one uh, is watching short form video. And then, of course, number two is streaming. And then number three or actually number two is streaming video. Number num- I'm sorry, I'm messing this up. Number two is streaming video. Number three <laughs> is streaming audio. Woo! There you go. Yes. And when we look at pop, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, number one is watching short for short music video clips. Uh, number two is streaming audio, uh, and number three is basically listening to AM/FM radio. Again, you know, when you look at what I found the, really interesting too is, you know, in the mix of all of these, almost is AM/FM radio. You know, still, yeah. still, you forget that that's still your car. Most cars, <laughs> if not all cars, have a radio in them, but they don't necessarily have a cassette deck, CD player. That's right. Streaming, you know, it's and it's free and it's free. Exactly. When you look at the category of rock, it's almost completely even across the board between AM, FM radio, between uh, listening to vinyl, which is, I'm sorry, that's that's not, not vinyl. They, they have these little icons, so you have to keep going up and down to see, and the icons are somewhat similar. I'm sorry. So it's almost even across the board between AM, FM radio, CDs, and vinyl for rock. Yeah. Not, 
not really surprising, I suppose. And then when we get down to R&B, uh, the top format is watching short music video clips, interestingly enough. And then we also have uh, number two is streaming music videos online and then down to uh, streaming audio. So it's just interesting stuff. Yeah, it's interesting to see the different uh, behaviors you know, from the different genres. And they have a really cool chart in here about consumption in other territories. So they bring yes. it down from North America. And these are averages, uh, Middle East and Africa, Europe, Asia Pacific, and, and Latin America. And they use those same things that we just talked about, like streaming music, uh, streaming videos, listening to radio, buying CDs, vinyl, et cetera. And just a couple of them that kind of jumped out at me because I thought they were, you know, pretty high like latin america no surprise after we just talked about bad bunny um the number one way uh, to consume music is from streaming 76 percent mm -hmm. of their music consumption um is uh you know or, or you know the fans 76 percent of them stream music um and then 83 percent of them stream stream music videos so I, I thought it was really interesting looking around at the different territories you know like how little uh, on average, uh, people listen to vinyl in some of these territories uh, compared to others. Right. And then I'm kind of like looking at territories I'm not familiar with. So I, I kind of was gravitating towards the Middle East and Africa. One of the things that jumped out for them is like 80% streaming music videos online, which was kind of surprising. Um, yeah. And yeah, so it's just kind of wild to kind of look and see what, what everybody is doing in those territories. And again, getting back to Middle East and Africa, in terms of listening to vinyl records, like to, to put it in perspective, here in North America, the average is 12%. In the Middle East and Africa, it's 17%. That's the highest number for listening to vinyl recorded LPs. It's in, middle, yeah. in the Middle East and Africa, which is fascinating. And, and I don't know if that's a new thing or if it's just still an extension of, of what it's always been, vinyl since the beginning. I don't know the answer to that, but it's really interesting to kind of look yeah. at Yeah, and, and there are certain well. territories that are just so physical you know mm -hmm. like like japan where it's yes. the it's the number one way people consume music so luminate they had this section called fanalytics and we won't dive too deeply into it but you know you can download download this report for free uh, the mm -hmm. link is in in your morning coffee lead story but they broke up uh, fans in five different buckets one is the enthusiast which i don't fit into any of these um perfectly but i'm closest to that one and i think you probably are too the next one is the devotee, you know, the radio rocker, the cool kid, and the ghost listener. And I'm not talking about the band. I'm talking about just the way that they consume music. So that's how they kind of break this down. And they go into all of the different behaviors of each one of those groups. And I'm not going to get into that, but you should check it out. It's really, really interesting. But I was a little, I don't know if you noticed, but I was looking at the top vinyl albums and I was a little surprised at, at the top 10. Me too, absolutely. Well, so let's let's go down with the top vinyl album sales. As we mentioned, Taylor Swift Midnight's we're talking sales of 945,000 copies. So that's wow. almost a million copies. And it's a big dip between number one and number two. Number two is Harry Styles, Harry's House. Uh, 480,000 units, not insignificant. Then we drop down to Olivia, Olivia, Olivia Rodrigo. She's at 263, Kendrick Lamar, 254. So it's kind of a bunch up there between that. Number five interests me. So, you know, when we talk about Taylor Swift, Harry Styles, Olivia Rodrigo, Kendrick Lamar, okay, those are contemporary artists. Number five, 
five Fleetwood Mac Rumors, <laughs> an album that came out in 1977. <laughs> coming, it's a great album. Coming on, it's a great album. 244, <laughs> 3,000 uh, copies. Uh, then we jumped down to Tyler, the creator at 211. Taylor Swift again with another record here at Folklore at 174. Tyler, the creator with the second album as well, 172,000. Michael Jackson, Thriller, uh, 169,000. And the Beatles, Abbey Road at 160,000. But, right. uh, you know, very interesting to see those numbers but again we're talking and again we've as we've mentioned and continue to mention there is still capacity issues so so yeah. these numbers are somewhat lower than they could have been had had uh, the number had there been a, a, a constant supply we don't know what that that's number right. would be but it certainly would be more than this that's right and as you point out seven of the top 10 were newer contemporary and, and only three of them are what you and I would consider to be real uh, catalog. And what's interesting about that, I'm sorry for for interrupting, is, you know, when we talked about how catalog is rising uh, on the the streaming side, yet on the vinyl side, it's pretty amazing when you look at at, at how many contemporary albums are at the top of the vinyl list. Stunning. Yeah, absolutely. And and a stat that we had heard from Will Page, um, only half of vinyl buyers actually own a record player. Uh, And that's... (laughs) That's amazing. And and uh, um, my uh, my buddy Cade was asking me about that this week, and I, I was telling him that it's a little misleading because a lot of vinyl comes with a download card, so you mm-hmm. can have the music and still have the vinyl and not have a record player. But a lot of people, they like to put it up on their wall. They yeah. like to display it and show how cool they are, like I'm cooler than you because I have the vinyl thing. Plus, let's not discount uh, when you're at the merch table uh, and you get something signed or you go, if you're yeah. fortunate enough to have a meet and greet, you know, with some of these artists that it's cool to have that vinyl, uh, signed and up on your wall. Um, I thought it was interesting that vinyl buyers, you know, they're, they're more engaged music fans. Um, and they're more likely to be Gen Z. Um, they're 27% more likely to, uh, purchase vinyl than the average music listeners. And, uh, you know, it doesn't, it's not that surprising that people who buy vinyl are typically more engaged music fans yeah. um, and they buy more music than than anyone else. Yes. And and as I'm sure, not only are they buying vinyl, they are consuming music in almost every other way. I'm sure they're big ticket buyers for live shows. I'm sure they are big consumers of, I bet. of streaming of, of everything. And so, uh, yeah, I'm quite sure that. The next one is very interesting. Again, share of total volume by format and genre of selected yeah. top genres. Um, I'll let you start it, but it's really well, interesting. It's, it's interesting to look at the different genres that they break up, and they break up 11 of them, and then they say, like, for example, you know, you look at rock, um, you know, 16 17% um, of that uh, genre is streaming, you know, mm-hmm. um, total on-demand streams and they break it down by, you know, uh, video streams, audio streams, total album sales. And, and you look at physical, I think it's really interesting to look at physical, you know, CDs and vinyl and mm-hmm. cassettes, I guess, to a lesser degree are only like 14% of R and B and hip hop, but on rock, they're over 45%. And right. I think that's where you get kind of the insights. What I found interesting in this was that, you know, children's music, is about 1.4% of, of all these genres. 
But the reason I think it's so high, and they mentioned this in the live stream, is that that super successful Disney Encanto, Encanto is considered children's music. Yes, exactly. That <clears throat> that that skews that category for sure. Um, and this is kind of ranked by. Uh, uh, albums plus TEA plus SEA on demand. So that's kind of the way that they rank everything. And of course, number one is hip hop at 26.8%. Rock, 20%. Pop is 12, what they consider pop, 12.7%. I was kind of surprised that country is 7.7%, kind of relatively low on this list. I always thought country was a little bit higher. But um, but it breaks it down that way. And, you know, it's just, again, it's fascinating to kind of look at all of this and just see what's going on out there. And, I, you know, I, I think back to our day, remember when SoundScan first came out and how enlightening that was because that, and oh, that was, yeah. relatively speaking, a literal drop in the data bucket in terms of what we were looking at at the time compared to what we, the information and data we have now with which, I mean, it's just overwhelming and, 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 and a lot to take in if you are, your job is marketing music and marketing artists. It's, it's overwhelming how much data is out there. It's fascinating. Yeah, and let me just clarify, for those that don't know, we, we mentioned TEA and SEA all the time because with streaming and a lesser degree downloads, they calculate sales, uh, like album sales, uh, this way. So, if, for example, TEA is track equivalent album. Mm -hmm. And that ratio is basically, you know, one album equ equals 10, you know, song downloads, track downloads. So that equals a equivalent of one album on the streaming side. It's a little bit more complicated. Um, SEA stands for streaming equivalent album. And so for example, the billboard, uh, 200 includes two tiers of on-demand audio streams. Tier one is paid subscription audio streams because they're worth more. You know, people are paying for them. Um, that equates to 1,250 streams. That equals one album equivalent. Tier two is ad-supported audio streams, well, worth less because it's quote-unquote free. Mm -hmm. um, that equates to 3,750 streams to equal... Uh, one album unit for an equivalent. And that's how they kind of track that. Yes, thank you for, for clarifying. I should have thrown that in there at the same time. But uh, yeah, and it's just, again, it's so much to kind of take in. and But it's it's a very appropriate way, I would say. Would, would you change any of that? If you, I mean, you're, you're a much more data-driven, knowledgeable person than I am. But to me, the, all of those things seem fair. Uh, would you would you change things a little? I, like we we've talked about how we don't agree with the 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 catalog designation, right? But anything else in there kind of make you go? Mm, I bet we could look at this no, a little differently. No, not really. I I like to look at that um, look at the behavior because it helps you market to um, those audiences, right? If you know what their behavior is, like I I consulted for a jazz label for years. Uh, it's people don't listen to jazz music the same way they listen to pop music. They don't mm -hmm. take one song off, put it in a playlist. Yes, there are playlists for jazz, but it doesn't work the same way as it does EDM country and other genres. So a lot of the behavior, you know, like almost 24% of consumption in, in jazz, for example, is physical yeah. um, even today. And that's one of the highest, actually it is the highest uh, I think the next highest is world music at 20% physical um, and then rock at almost 19% physical. Um, so, you know, and then you look at 
<laughs> you look at Latin and it's just so crazy across the board with Latin music. Bad Bunny, as you mentioned, was like 96%, but overall just Latin in general is, you know, when you look at streaming video and, you know, audio put together is right around, you know, 96, 97%. It's crazy. Yeah, right, exactly. Well, it's absolutely a wonderful list to, to, or it's a wonderful report to make sure you download. Check it yeah, out. It great is job. awesome stuff. Wonderful job over there for the folks at Luminate. And uh, oh boy, it's it's just amazing stuff to, to, to go and review. And I can hardly wait to get the this year's next year to see where we'd have the changes have, have happened. So yeah, there are three reports that you and I always cover, whether they're six month or annual reports. Um, one of them is this luminate one. The other one is the RIAA. And then the other one is IFPI, which is uh, global. Um, RIAA is U S only. And those are the reports that we can't wait to get our hands on and see what we can pull out of it and learn from. And this report, as you mentioned, goes really deep. So, uh, as Mike says, download this report, print it out. It's got some really great insights. We just scratched the surface of this. Absolutely. uh, Yeah. So let's check out this next article. It is from music business worldwide. Sir Lucian Grange saying music needs a new streaming payout model. And we are working on it. Yeah, and this is uh, from a a New Year note he sent to the Universal staff. Uh And uh, Tim Ingham over at Music Business Worldwide, one of our absolute, uh, absolutely favorite uh, sources for music news, um, he kind of broke it down and talked about um, what it it meant. And, you know, uh, Lucian Grange um, said that what's become clear to us and to so many artists and songwriters, developing and established ones alike, is that the economic model for streaming needs to evolve as technology advances and platforms evolve. It's not surprising that there's also a need for music business model innovation to keep pace with the changes. Quote, there is a growing disconnect between, on one hand, the devotion of uh, those artists whom fans value and seek to support, and on the other hand, the way subscription fees are paid by the platforms under the current model, the critical contributions of too many artists as well as the engagement of too many fans are undervalued. I thought that was really powerful stuff. Absolutely. As Tim says in Grange's crosshairs there, the pro rata payout system utilized by services such as Spotify, whereby the majority of subscription and ad money generated each month as we know, is pooled into a central pot and is then paid out to labels and artists based on their share of the volume of total plays. Also in his crosshairs, as Tim says, companies (laughs) and entrepreneurs who seek to exploit this pro rata system for their own unjust gain, and in parentheses, as well as potentially streaming services who strike direct low royalty deals with music production firms and then deliberately push music fans towards this music in an attempt to save money on overall royalty costs. Yeah, and we don't really talk about that too much. There's not a lot of reporting on that. But that is, I mean, this whole letter um, from Lucian Grange, I found super interesting, and I love that an an executive at his level is calling out these things. He says that Mm -hmm. in order to entice consumers to subscribe, platforms naturally exploit the music of those artists who have large and passionate fan bases, right? It makes sense. Sure. But then once those fans have subscribed, 
consumers are often guided by algorithms to generic music that lacks the meaningful artistic context. It's less expensive for the platform to license, or in some cases has been commissioned directly by the platform. Right. Wow. He goes on, for example, just witness the thousands and thousands of 31-second track uploads of sound files whose sole purpose is to game the system and divert royalties. The result, a less fulfilling experience for the consumer, diminished compensation flowing to artists that are driving the business models of the platforms, and fewer cultural moments that fans can collectively share, all of which undermines the creativity and development of artists and their music that the platforms were in part designed to foster. This is such, such a great note, such a great letter to his team. You know, and as he's said in the past, Grange also raises concerns over the huge volume. You know, we talk about 100,000 tracks mm -hmm. on average being uploaded a day to DSPs, you know, to streaming services. Um, with such a vast and unnavigable number of tracks flooding the platforms. Consumers are increasingly being guided by algorithms to lower quality functional content that in some cases can barely pass for music. He also added that in the past, music industry conflict was often focused on the majors versus the indies. Today, the real divide is between those committed to investing in artists and artist development versus those committed to gaming the system and quantity over quality. I thought that was really important. The current environment has attracted players who see an economic opportunity for flooding platforms with all sorts of irrelevant content that deprives both the artists and labels from the compensation they deserve. Wow. Right. Yeah. And as and and of course, if you throw something up, you got to have a solution. So Grange says Universal Music Group is open to experimentation on that score, but appears to suggest that previously proposed alternative streaming payout models, most notably the user centric or fan powered model adopted by SoundCloud and others, haven't won UMG's support. He said, to correct the streaming payout imbalance, we need an updated model, he writes, not mm. one that pits artists of one genre against artists of another or major label artists against indie or DIY artists. We need a model that supports all artists, DIY, indie, and major, an innovative artist-centric model Ooh, that, like val that. that values all subscribers and rewards the music they love, a model that will be a win for artists, fans, and labels alike, and at the same time also enhances the value proposition of the platforms themselves, accelerating subscriber growth and better monetizing fandom. I like that. I like that artist-centric uh, that he, he talks about, and we'll just kind of put a fine point on this. He kind of closes out the, the letter by saying that, you know, in ch achieving such a profound change will present challenges. And right. I mean, it's obvious, you know, as it, but also opportunities. He said that he, I'm confident, however, that our long and deep involvement with music and artists will enable us to safely and profitably navigate our way forward through the industry's next big shift. And in this article, they they have the full letter if, if you want to read that. Uh -huh. But the my big takeaway takeaway, the one that I highlighted was this artist centric model. And I'm excited to see it's not you know, pro rata versus, mm -hmm. you know, fan powered, it's maybe something, something middle. different that doesn't pit yeah. one against the other. I thought that was super interesting. 
Yeah. Well, you know, and you and and these things are not by accident. You know, these things are uh, an opportunity to certainly communicate with with the team and the staff and the employees of of the organization. In this case, UMG. But it's also meant for other people's consumption. And so I always kind of wonder in the back of, okay, so who's he, who else is he talking to here? And uh, is, this gonna, is this kind of a shot over the bow in terms of future negotiations, in terms of, of what? So I'm sure that shoe, shoe will drop as we get further into 2023. And I'm very yeah. interested. Read to that see letter in, in yes. your morning coffee. I think you'll, you'll find it really interesting. That's one that I'm going to... Uh, save. And as we kind of wrap up the the episode here, we have one other really great piece to cover. It's from our friends over at Symphonic Distribution. Um, last year, I did a live stream with Randall Foster uh, over at Symphonic about how to have, uh, you know, the ultimate kick-ass year for 2022. Well, this is the updated uh, version. This is uh, from Symphonic, the ultimate guide for a kick-ass year 2023. And they go through ways to kind of maximize your back catalog or, you know, and while also working on your new releases and a few, few of the ways they do that, maybe one isn't sexy. Like the first one they kick off is, is metadata, which is super important. And if you don't know, you know, what is metadata? It includes information like artist, genre, label, song title, album name, track number, ISRC code, you know, and as Symphonic points out, there are really three types of metadata that you need to know about. Descriptive metadata, ownership performing rights metadata, and recommendation metadata. So improper metadata causes a lot of damage in the industry. We see this all the time. I had a conference call about this yesterday about, you know, bad metadata that puts money into the hands of people where it shouldn't be. You know, when you have artists with a, a similar name, for example. So you, you have to correct that metadata and they show you how to do that. And by the way, and I will be the first to say, proper metadata is a pain in the ass. Because yeah. when you're loading in tracks, it's kind of mind-numbing. <laughs> When you're putting all and that time information, consuming, in it. right? And time consuming, and I, it's easy to flub. It really is, and it, it gets very tiresome. But uh, it is amongst the most crucial things that you have to do. So, just suck it up. Uh, it, one of the other things, of course, <laughs> is offer physical options. Contrary to popular belief, physical distribution is still an important part of artist and label development, as we were yeah. just talking about. Uh, think about <clears throat> ordering physical vinyl or CDs for your old music with a huge resurgence of vinyl making waves all over the world. Fans everywhere are eager to get their hands on physical product from their favorite artists. Not everyone drives a fancy new car with a working radio access to Spotify. CDs are still going strong all over the world, and the market for them is still a viable resource for exposure. Heck yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and they talk about how to, you know, as you're maximizing your back catalog and working on new releases, you know, let's talk about re-releasing music mm -hmm. and doing it the right way, you know. Um, they mentioned, you know, touching the hearts of fans who miss you the most by announcing, you know, a show where you play your past hits. Let's face it, nostalgia sells. If you can pull on the heartstrings of your audience by giving them a nostalgic anniversary tour, they'll be sure to buy tickets, merch, vinyl, CDs, and whatever else you have to offer. True fans will cherish the experience and want to remember it forever. And this reminds me of a trend a decade ago um, where a lot of artists were playing certain albums in their entirety. 
you know, and doing a show of, you know, I saw Elton John do Captain Fantastic at Madison Square Garden in its entirety. I saw Cheap Trick do, you know, some of their albums like In Color and Heaven Tonight in their entirety. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And those were some of the best shows I'd ever seen. Oh, absolutely. Uh, now, we are not saying to go and flood the market, by the way, uh, but consider doing a compilation of your catalog Do uh, if you have kind of a lot of catalog. Also a great way of getting older uh, stuff out there. As a disclaimer, this could create possible issues with some DSPs that have rules about re-releasing, uh, mainly Apple, according to their style guide. However, Spotify is open to it, and some shops that do, it, to do downloads are okay with it as well. And this was, you know, you and I both worked in the catalog business for a long time. Yeah. And that is just something that you have to do you have to uh, you have to gently i suppose but you're you always are looking to refresh the catalog and keep <laughs> yeah. it in people's minds you know and yeah if it whether it, it's remastering yeah. or finding demo versions or things like that there's always anniversaries all anniversaries. that stuff. exactly absolutely. but you know there's an art form to that you're absolutely right you don't want it to be as we used to lovingly joke um, never before in this order. And that's right. You know, you don't want to be <laughs> yeah. like that. You want to add value with it, whether it's remastered or um, you include a live show with it or some outtakes, B-sides, that sort of thing. So here are a few pro tips um, from this guide. Um, try remastering some of your older material. Have it remixed mm -hmm. or yeah. released, you know, different remix versions. Um, recording live versions or acoustic versions or create new masters of your existing material. This applies to many different genres and creates more content. I hate that word, but it's true uh, for you to promote. And I know as a music fan, I love it. We were just talking about U2 and how they're releasing these acoustic mm -hmm. versions of 40 of their songs. I can't wait to buy that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, you got to talk about new platforms whenever you're talking about this. Jay, not sure if you've heard about this. There's a new platform called TikTok that is very... How do you pronounce uh, that? TikTok, I believe it's pronounced. <laughs> okay. Uh, TikTok, <laughs> as you may know, Jay, TikTok thrives on data and metrics. If you want to improve your content's performance, understanding your profile's detailed analytics... It's the first step. There are some great online tools dedicated to helping you access just this, including this new company called TikTok's Analytics Future. Uh, that uh, that's uh, on their in their SMS. That they being uh, our friends over at uh, Random Symphonic. Austin. Symphonic, yeah, yeah. And people forget sometimes about Triller. You know, why should you use Triller? Well, 65 million monthly users, you know, that that may be why. Yeah. Um, it's just another tool for fan engagement. Engagement. That's easy for you to say. You know, Triller's AI-powered artificial intelligence-powered editing format makes it easy to produce professional-looking video content all in one place. Additionally, the platform makes it easy for you to share your creations across, you know, like all these other social platforms. How about lyric distribution? Your Ooh, lyrics help foster an intimate connection with your fans. That's why having them available on platforms like Spotify, Instagram, and Facebook is so important. The more content you can provide to your audience, not surprisingly, the deeper they can connect with you and your work. Symphonic, by the way, now is a partnership with lyric uh, for lyrics distribution and submission. And that's really yeah. aimed at me personally because I will constantly butcher lyrics whenever I'm singing oh, yeah. a song. It just, yeah. Uh, embarrassingly so. Yeah, and especially when I'm discovering new music. Yes, um, I, I I'm, love... I'm rewriting the song completely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they talk about new platforms and formats like Bandcamp. You know, we all love Bandcamp. Um, you know, it's one of the largest remaining download stores out there. You know, it's still a thing. You know, if you have a lot of catalog, put it on, you know, Bandcamp. It's a great way to create bundles, get download revenue, 
directly from your consumer, Bandcamp. Yeah, absolutely. And how about a voice strategy? Not the singing voice, although that could be a strategy as well. (laughs) 71% of consumers prefer to contact... Jay, I got to get the marbles out of my mouth. 71% of consumers prefer to conduct queries by voice instead of typing. What they're using it for the most, you got it, listening to music. As a musician, it's important to be aware of the shift to come and have a voice strategy ready to go. Good news is Symphonic shows you how to do it. Yeah, they sure do. And I'm a big fan of voice. I have one of every device uh, that's available today. uh, That shall not be named. Exactly, because they'll go off. And sometimes they do anyway. And I just love checking, you know, hey, device, you know, play this song by this artist, you know, for releases that I have just to make sure that they recognize it and uh, they can do it. So you're absolutely right. And Symphonic's absolutely right about voice strategy. Super important. They talk about DSP management. One of the things is just claiming your profiles. Get out there. We just did this this last week with an artist um, that was new. Um, Claim your artist profiles and sign up for Spotify for artists, Apple Music for artists, uh, Amazon Music for artists, you know, all of those different things. You know, it's... The other thing is that like clear visuals and updated artist profiles are crucial in creating and maintaining your artist image. That's according to this guide. And it's very true. In the digital age, branding is everything. So it's important to keep all your platforms up to date. Everything's got to be consistent, right? In in this guide, you're going to find out how to claim your profiles, you know, Apple, Tidal, Spotify, Deezer, Amazon, all that. So uh, definitely check that part out. And as painful as it might be for some of us, get familiar with date with the data that's available. Amazon, Spotify, Apple, Deezer, and Bandcamp. Check data on the various four artist platforms provided by Deezer, Amazon, Spotify, and Apple. This data will help shed some light on what you can do in the future to improve. In times like this, it's crucial to stay up to date and be aware of where you stand. So you can not only be smarter with your strategy, but thrive moving forward. Yeah, that's right. And I would also, th- there's so many data platforms out there like Vibrate and Chartmetric and Spot mm-hmm. on Track and Sound Charts and all of these things. My favorite is Vibrate. Um, I, you know, all transparency, I work with them. I think they're great people, but they have something the others don't have right now, and that's engagement. And they've got some other things that are coming, which is pretty exciting. So this guide is it's a must have and it's free and you can download it, you know, from Symphonic or, you know, the link is in your morning coffee this last week, the ultimate guide for a kick-ass year, 2023. The guide also addresses things like rights management and publishing and sound exchange and YouTube's content ID and sync licensing and branding and best practices and on and on and on. It comes out every year. It is a fantastic resource. I keep it on my desktop and I cut and paste things out of it to send to clients sometimes. And sometimes I'll send them the the full guide. But do yourself a favor, download this guide and and keep it handy. It's, It's absolutely amazing. Totally. Absolutely. So on that note, Jay, we do need to wrap up this edition of the podcast. Uh, By the way, if you enjoy our show, please tell one friend. Jay and I really appreciate it. Just one friend. Just tell one friend. That's right. We, and we as appreciate I've, it. And as I've mentioned, and then Jay will come over to your house and wash your car. I mean, it's so easy. <laughs> Tell a friend, get a car wash. Is Simon Eyes still a thing? It is. Okay. <laughs> or if it isn't, it's going to become a thing when you when you incorporate that into Simon the car Simon Eyes. Wash. 
All right. Simon eyes. Right. That's Wax going back. On, you're showing off. your age. That's right. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So we also want to thank the Music Business Association, Bandzoogle, Hypebot, Bands in Town for making it happen with us. Boy, we uh, we couldn't uh, say thank you more or loud enough to them. And of course, thanks to you, the listeners. Boy, Jay and I do not take any of this for granted. We certainly appreciate no. everyone tuning in and we get kind notes back and uh, it's just really fun to to know that folks are out there listening and, and care about what we're talking about. So Jay and I really appreciate that. So big thanks. And on that note, have a fabulous week, everyone. We will see you next time on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.